Good morning, church. How are you? Great to be together today. Wow, wasn't worship sweet this morning? Man, there is nothing like worshiping Jesus together. Turn in your Bible with me to Romans chapter 4. If you need a Bible, our ushers will be coming down the rows with free Bibles for you. I don't know about you, but I have really been enjoying this study of Romans. Just finding myself falling more and more in love with this book. We called the series Uncomfortable because there's some really uncomfortable topics that it deals with for our own uh, human flesh, or our own humanity. But boy, are there some aspects of it that bring it just tremendous comfort. And we're now in Romans 4. We spent three weeks unpacking Romans 1 and 2, which kind of the, hi- uh, the height of uncomfortableness, because Paul just goes to great lengths to be painstakingly clear that the situation that we find ourselves in as men and women living on this planet is a dire scenario, that we're all falling short of the glory of God and that we all stand in a legal sense, condemned. Because of the glory and the righteousness of God, we're found to be unrighteous. And so Paul takes that first two chapters, just a little review here for you, to just unpack that, to show us, man, we're all in a hopeless situation. And, and, and he doesn't just say that the wicked person, right? Romans 1, especially the second part, really unpacks how we kind of get in a wicked and depraved situation. But he doesn't just say it's the wicked person. He also goes in and says, hey, it's the religious person too. No one's going to be saved. No one's going to get into heaven because of their religion. And it's not just religion. It's also the moral person. He's saying, hey, no one will be justified. They'll be justified with God because of their morality. And last week, we finally kind of climbed through the woods up this steep, treacherous mountain and got to the pinnacle. And we saw this beautiful vista, and the vista was grace. And last week we said grace, and we all went, ah. As we looked upon grace, and we learned that it's not by religion that we're saved, it's not by obeying the law or morality, it's by grace that we can come into a relationship with God, and we access grace by faith. So that was Romans chapter 3. Now, Romans chapter 4. Paul takes out a hammer. Paul, by the way, if you haven't been with us, is the apostle. The apostle means sent one. He's the sent one who wrote the book of Romans, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 4, where we find ourselves today, Paul takes out a hammer and a nail and says, okay, I'm going to drive this point, this salvation by grace. I'm going to just drive it in one more time. Slam! And he starts with this. He starts by talking about a character named Abraham. Abraham. If you don't know who Abraham was, he was kind of like Superman to the Jews. They thought that Abraham was the man. Okay, Abraham was not just Abraham, but they called him Father Abraham. He was the Jew of Jews, or, you know, when I say Jews, Hebrews, Israelites, all the same thing. And he was a really good man too. So they would just look to him, the the Jewish people, the people of that ethnicity and religion would look to Abraham and say, Abraham's the man. He's our father. 
And certainly, he was in a good place with God. And Romans 4 does this. It shows that Abraham was saved by faith. You know, and sometimes we have these questions about the Old Testament. We think the New Testament is totally different than the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have the cross and Jesus. And so it's totally different because in the Old Testament, they had to fulfill all these laws and sacrifice all these animals. And, and, and what the writer of Romans is saying is, Abraham, back in the Old Testament, he was saved not by obeying the law, not by being a Jew, not by being religious, but by faith, by looking to Jesus. And, and, and if that's not enough, he throws in a little, a little uh, pass about David too. Because David and Abraham, you don't, you don't get more studly in the Jewish religion than these two men. And so Paul's saying, listen, Abraham, David, they're justified by faith. That's what the first part of the, of the book of uh, Romans chapter 4 is all about. But that's not where we're going to camp out today because I think you probably got it after last week about this justified or saved by faith. This is what the second half talks about, which I think is equally important for us today. The first half is talking about salvation by faith. The second half is talking about something completely different. It's talking about living by faith. Say, living by faith. You know, you're not called to just be saved by faith. You're called to live by faith. Now, this is not something that I was picking up growing up in a church. Now, typically when I kind of take a poll of our church, at least half, sometimes even three quarters of this room grew up in the church. For me, growing up in the church, it was all about salvation. Now, I'm so thankful to grow up in a Bible-believing church, and they believed in salvation by grace. So this is what happened to me. I understood that I had sinned, that I had fallen short of the glory of God. This was seven years old, and it was a very legitimate thing. I understood that I was a sinner. By then, I had lied to enough seven-year-olds. I had stolen enough people's candy. You know, I would gotten angry enough and thought enough bad thoughts about my teachers that I knew that I was a sinner. And that the only way I could get to God and start a relationship with Him is I needed to be born anew, born of the Spirit. So I put my faith in Jesus. And I legitimately believe that happened to me. If, if you gave your life to Christ and you believe it actually, you really were saved as a child, would you raise your hand in here? Look at that. I mean, that's a third of the room. My children, uh, Hallie and Hudson, nine, are about to be nine and seven. They've legitimately given their lives to Christ. I really believe it. But here's the thing growing up in church. It was kind of like this mountain. It's like you looked up to the cross and, and you came to this point where you realized, I need Jesus and you got saved. But then for me and my church experience, everything else from there was downhill. And we always looked back to that event. And every Sunday we'd would sing the same songs. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, my burdens of my heart were washed away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. And would sing, and that's a great song, by the way. I'm not down on it, but it was like we're always believing for people who hadn't gotten saved to get saved. Once you were saved, you always just looked back at that day and said, boy, that was the day. That was the day I got happiness. I just need to remember that day that I was saved. And it seemed to me that that was kind of the apex of our Christianity, was the day you got saved. And I want to propose to you today that that isn't the apex. That is just the doorway into an amazing journey. If you've seen 
the movie Narnia before. Let me just say that your salvation is the wardrobe that you walk in like little Lucy. You snuggle through those fur coats and then you, you step into Narnia. That is what Paul is talking about today as we look at Romans in the latter half of chapter 4. He talks about Abraham not just being saved by faith, but living by faith. And let me just prove this to you. If you'd look at the second part of of verse 16 in Romans chapter 4, it says this. It says, he is the father of us all. Now, if if you come from a healthy family, if, if fathers were doing what they were supposed to be doing these days, then we would know that what is our father's is ours. And the same DNA in our father is in us. So I want to show you the spiritual DNA of Abraham today because this, my friends, is your calling. Abraham is a prototype of who you are supposed to be. So we're going to start by keep put, put a little uh, note or something in, in Romans chapter 4 and would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to see how Abraham explodes onto the scene and we're going to unpack some amazing things that I think will get you really excited today about what God has in store for you. So Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 we really start seeing Abraham's life. Let's go ahead and put that on the screen. It says this, then the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household And go to the land I will show you. I've told this story many times. I'll tell it as long as we meet as a church. God invited my wife and I and some friends into an Abrahamic journey. A journey of leaving everything that was comfortable when God called us to move here and plant this church. Everything had made sense for us in Texas where we were. We were a part of an exploding church. We were leading one of the largest college ministries. Stephanie and I were leading one of the largest college ministries in the nation. People were coming in and studying it. People were coming to Christ. People were being discipled. We were sending teens out from our college ministry to start churches. We started churches in Seattle, in Chicago, in Portland. We were launching these groups out. It was really going good. We also were were totally blessed relationally. We had lots of friends there. And not just relationally, my family was there. My parents were in that area. My sisters both, both worked for me. Both of the men they married were good friends of mine. So things were really going good financially. We had a salary. We owned a house outright. Things were good. And one day, God disrupts us. I'm just going about my merry little life, having a little FaceTime. Just expecting God to tell me he loves me. God, what do you have for me today? I'm thinking he's going to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. And God says, go. Go to San Diego. I said, what? Like I said many times, I didn't know in California where San Diego was. Didn't know if it was in the northern San Diego. I didn't know if it was in the desert. I didn't know. It was really sweet when I saw where it was, right on the ocean. Go. God often calls us on journeys that don't make sense for Abram. When he called him, he was an Ur of the Chaldeans. Everything made sense for Abram and Ur of the Chaldeans. It was kind of the Los Angeles of the times. It was the seat of, of development, of commerce, of culture, of agricultural learning. It was, the, it was the kind of apex of society, the Los Angeles or the New York or the San Diego, right? And God tells him to leave. And where does he say, Go. 
He doesn't tell him where to go. He just says, go to the land I will show you. Abraham has to just step out. And I want to tell you, men and women, that oftentimes God calls us from things that in the worldly sense totally make sense to step out in faith into something that we don't even know where we're going. Now, how can you do this? How can you take this kind of risk? Well, God is so good to explain after he tells Abraham to leave how he is going to be towards Abraham. God is going to unpack his character. He says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. If you get one thing today, I want you to get this. The key to living a life of faith is to be convinced of God's faithfulness. I should see a lot more writing going on right now. The key to living a life of faith is being absolutely convinced of God's faithfulness to you. And so when God tells Abraham to do the craziest risk of his whole life, then he unpacks and says, and this is what I will be to you, Abram. If you're looking for principles here, principle one, God's going to call you to take faith risks. But number two, he wants you to know that he's going to bless you. I want to tell you that God has blessed us. I feel like the most blessed man in the world to have gone on this journey. Now, did, did we make some, some risks? Did we make some sacrifices? Absolutely. But the payback has been infinitely greater than we would have actually ever imagined. God wants to bless you. He is the blessing God. Principle three, he doesn't want to just bless you. He wants to bless you to be a blessing. That's the whole reason why God made his name great. God made his name great. I remember in junior high and high school, I so wanted to have a great name, right? I so wanted to have this great reputation. Even when I, when I came into college, I, you know, I wanted to have this great name and I did all kinds of things. The, the way, the different sports I played, the getting into class politics. And so it was all about having a great name that people would say, Robert Herber, not Robert Herber, right? They'd be like, yeah, Robert was here, Robert. And so I, 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 I tried to do things to build my reputation. Now here's what you find out. You find out that a lot of times when you're trying to build your reputation, people realize you're trying to build your reputation and then they judge you for being a person who's trying to build your reputation. And so people end up, a lot of people end up disdaining you. They, they don't like you. They think, well, he's just about popularity. He's just, he just wants his name to be up in lights, right? We, no one trusts that kind of person. God wants to make our name great, but it's not so that you finally get over your insecurity about who you are in life. He wants to make your name great so he'll get glory and that people around you are blessed. He wants to make your name great so he'll get the glory. So people will look at, look at you and say, look what God did with that person. Look at how God met that person. And they get around you and they feel the peace. They feel the confidence. They feel the joy that people start talking about you, but they're not talking about you. Well, wow, man, look how awesome Alan is. Look at his clothes. Look at his hair. Ooh, those glasses. Whoa, that car. No, they're saying, Alan, man, there's something different about him. 
And when they say the name of Alan, they immediately talk about what God's done in his life. And guess what starts happening? God gets glory, but more and more people start coming around Alan because they're like, when I'm around Alan, I just feel something different. And then people get blessed. I want to tell you, men and women, that God wants to bless you. But until you believe that, you won't be willing to go out on these faith risk journeys with him. Do you believe that God wants to bless you? Let me ask you that question today. There's four people clapping right now. That's, let, let me explain it this way. God, I truly believe, wants to bless you emotionally. He wants to bless you emotionally. Because when you're blessed emotionally, you become a thermometer in a room. I mean, a thermostat, excuse me, instead of a thermometer. It's easy to walk in a room where everyone's down and be like, eh, I'm just down too, right? But when you're emotionally blessed, you walk into a room and it's like someone just turned, well, in our case, down the AC and we're like, ooh, how cool and refreshing. God wants to bless you emotionally. God wants to bless you spiritually so that you would see him and hunger after him. God wants to bless you physically. God wants you to be blessed physically so you can then say, you know what, God is doing something in my life. God wants to bless people financially, not just so you can be banking and driving your Bentley. He wants to bless you so that you can turn and bless people who need it. You see someone who needs food. You have money for them. You see someone who needs shelter. Well, come in. I have a house that's bigger than I need. Come and live in this room with me. You see someone who needs money to go on a mission trip. You know what? I would love to give money to that. And here you go. God wants to bless you. Let's keep looking at Abraham's life. Let's jump into now our chapter for the day. Starting in verse 17, it says this. As it's written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, this is verse 18, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it's been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why... It was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Hallelujah to God. Let's unpack this for a minute because today what I want to talk to you about is living by faith. And not just living by faith, but living by faith in impossible situations. Here's what I find out, men and women, is that I have constantly found myself in impossible situations. As believers, God actually allows us to go into impossible situations so that we can look to the God of the impossible. He comes through and delivers us, and then he receives great glory, and many people around us are redeemed. So I want to unpack six principles for you today. If you're taking notes, I think these are really going to help you. And we're going to take it line by line. So here is how we live by faith in seemingly hopeless situations. Starting in verse 17. It says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. God spoke a promise over Abram. 
He spoke a promise over Abraham. I say Abram and Abraham because God changes his name kind of halfway through the story. But God gave him a promise. Principle number one is receive the promise from God. Receive the promise from God. God loves to speak promises over us. Now, if you know the story a little, if we go to to Genesis 15 for a moment, we'll just put it up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. I'm going to take you into the story. Abram and Sarah, they are about 100 years old, and they don't have children. And anyone that's anyone knows that it's impossible for a 100-year-old person to have a child. Your body has kind of dried up by then in your reproductive organs. I don't want to get any more specific than that. Genesis 15, 4, 6 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look, up in the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring, Abram, uh, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God gave Abram a promise, a promise of something that was totally impossible. And he said this, it's not just this little promise for you. It's a promise that's going to be a lot bigger than you think. And I want to tell you, men and women, some of us are just, we're just hoping that we make it out of our impossible situation. And God's saying, hey, I don't want to just pull you out of it where you just kind of squeak by. I want to do something that impacts many people around you. Anytime God does something in the life of a believer, it's never just to impact one person. It's to impact a family. It's to impact a community. It's to impact a city. And that's what he was doing with Abram. Here, So God gave him a promise. Here's, here's on our little Abrahamic journey of starting all people's church. God did this. Let me read this. The second part of this verse of, of, of Genesis 4.17. It says, he's our father in the sight of God whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He calls into being things that were not. Or another version says he calls things that are not as though they are. So God basically said, Abram, you're a mighty father. You're a father of many. And Abram's like, I can't even have one little bambino. God's saying, it's not just about one bambino. You're going to be a father over the whole enchilada. And he's saying, no, no, I can't. I don't even have one. God is constantly calling things that are not as though they are. Here's a great little picture. Can we show the picture of our little church planting team up? We had a little church planting team. This is all people's church in 1990, uh, I'm sorry, in 2007. Okay. Now, does this look like all people's to you? Okay. Now look around this room. You might see a little more all people's. This little group that's very young and very white. God spoke to us and said, you are all people's church. And we looked at each other and said, no, we look like. A a, a very few people's church. And God said, no, you are all people's church. And we're thinking, this is impossible, God. You've called us to plant a multi-ethnic church. And look at the group you've given us. Okay? Jonathan is half Latino. So we... We had 0.5 Latino in our group to plant all people's church. But God said, you are all people's church. And now by God's grace, we're 35% non this group. 
Okay? And if you look around, I just had someone walking in this morning. They said, man, what an amazing mixture of cultures and ages. Right? I was the oldest person at 31 years old. Right there. But God calls things that are not as though they are. And I want to just tell you right now, this is just the beginning, men and women. God has not just said you're all people search, but he has given so many people that have had dreams and visions and said, ah, we've seen this auditorium and it's a people filled from every kindred nation, tribe and tongue in San Diego. This is, this is one of the most diverse cities in the nation. You're sitting in the most diverse high school in the whole nation. And God is going to make this all people's church, even though it started like this, beep, right there. God calls things that are not as though they are. Let's look at the second principle. So the first principle is get the promise. Get the promise. Say, get the promise. God wants to give you promises. It's part of the Abrahamic lifestyle is God wants to give. There is not a person in this room who God will not give promises if you open your ears and your heart and listen. Number two, starting in verse 18, we're going to show you the next principle. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Against all hope, Abraham looked at the situation and there was no hope for him to become a father. I think about my friends Brent and, and Vicky that lead a church in our network in Honolulu, Hawaii. Some of you right now are saying, yes, Lord, send me. <laughs> Brent and Vicky had wanted to have children. They were married and didn't have children the first year, didn't have children the second year, didn't have children the third or the fourth or the fifth year. Started thinking, wow, maybe something's wrong. They didn't have children the sixth or the seventh or the eighth year. They didn't have children the ninth or the tenth year. Well, maybe we won't be a family that has children, but we believe that God can do anything because there's always hope. They didn't have children the eleventh or twelfth year. They didn't have children the thirteenth year. In the fourteenth year, they're at a conference. These are faith-filled people. And a, a, a pastor, some of you guys know, Bill Johnson, comes up to him and says, God, speaking that you'll have a child. And they're going, 14 years of not having a child. He said, amen, God, we receive it. This summer, I was walking with them as they were pushing their child in the stroller. <laughs> Against all hope, Abraham had hope. I want to tell you, men and women, that there's always hope. You serve the God of the impossible. What is God speaking over your marriage today? What is God speaking over your finances today? What is God speaking over your health today? There is hope. I look at the stories in the Old Testament, and it's all about hopeless situations. I want to tell you, it's not abnormal for Christians to find themselves in hopeless situations. Actually, that's the norm if you look at the Bible. Some of you today are like, God, why am I in this impossible situation? Well, because it's normal. Impossible situations are normal. And so we look with hope. We don't say there's no hope. Part of being a believer is looking at those hopeless situations and saying, today I follow the God of hope. 
The Israelites were forced up against this big red sea. And behind them is Pharaoh's army. The Egyptian army is coming to kill them. And what happens? Well, they're like, we can't swim all four million of us across this ocean. We can't fight that army. Hopeless situation. What happens? A sea parts. There was no precedent for that. Seas don't split and you walk on dry ground. But there's always hope with God. Let's keep going in verse 19. Are you getting encouraged yet? I am encouraged. Oh, let me just share one little other story from the Bible. There's this big army that's going to kill the Israelites again. There are always armies wanting to kill the poor Israelites. But this time, they had this stud warrior in massive armor. He was bigger than a Transformer or the Terminator. And he was nine feet tall. Hopeless situation. So in a hopeless situation, a little boy comes up with a little piece of leather and a pebble. And guess what? Guess who won? The boy with the pebble. There's always hope in God. Verse 19, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Say face the fact. Say face the fact. Okay, now some of us start thinking, I, I can't. Sometimes we get this faith thing and we kind of make it superstitious. And so we're like, okay, don't say it. Like, there's power in the tongue. And yes, I totally believe in that. And I'll talk about it more in a minute. But sometimes we feel like if we say something that's actually a fact, then we, it shows that we don't have faith. So you're like, <coughs> I'm not sick. <coughs> right? Because I don't want to speak that over myself. I'm not going to speak that I'm sick. <coughs> I'm not sick. <coughs> right? It's okay to face the facts. The Bible says you can face the fact. Abraham faced the fact. That he was as good as that. If you're broke, you don't have to be like, I'm the richest man in the world. No, and you open your wallet, you got nothing. Nada. It's okay to face the fact. But it says before, but don't weaken in your faith. Guys, it takes more faith to face the fact. Sometimes Christians, we got a problem, so we just choose to, I'm, not, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think. I have no money, but I'm not going to think. I can't pay my bills. I'm just not going to think about it. It'll go away. It's not going away. No, this is what we do as believers. We look and say, ha, I have no money. But my God does. We say, my body is sick. Let me, I, I, I found that we get in these impossible situations, right? My mother had cancer. And it was serious cancer. And the doctors, she'd go to the doctors and she got worse news than we wanted. And you know what we did? We didn't say, well, we're not going to believe that. We're just not going to believe that those doctors are right. We said, okay. Well, that's the doctor's report. But hallelujah, we serve a healing God. And so what did we do? We went and got the promise from God. We said, God, we need a word here. We need a promise from you. And God spoke to our hearts. She will not die, but she will live. And so we said, okay, your body right now is jacked. And the facts are that it's not like what we want. But God has given us a promise, so we will not weaken in faith. Are you getting this, men and women? This is going to help someone out here. If you get this, it's okay to face the facts. If you're broke, you can say, I'm broke right now. 
If you're sick, you can say, I'm sick. It's not about some superstitious thing of what we say. It's about putting our feet firmly on faith in God's faithfulness. Amen? So we faced the facts. Here's the next point. Point number three. Don't waver in unbelief. Verse 20 and 21. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I, I, I think about, in facing the facts, I think about our friends that we've been contending for this week, for the Tresser family. If you've been with us in life groups or in our prayer meeting or in different leaders' meetings and training schools, we've been praying for Alyssa Tresser. Can we go, go ahead and put the picture up here? This right here is something the doctor said shouldn't have happened. Matt and Sherry uh, were pregnant with their fifth child and found out that there were all kinds of complications, all kinds of brain complications, three holes in her heart, enlarged liver. And the doctor said, there's a 50% chance that this baby won't even be born. Then they said, there's only a 25% chance that this baby will live if it is born, if it would just survive for a few hours, right? By God's grace, this baby is with us and getting better right now. Here's what, here's what I loved that, that, that Matt and Sherry said. They came into our office for the elders to gather around them and pray for them. And I said, Sherry, you know, how, how are you doing? She goes, when I get alone with God, I have peace. And I sensed him taking care of us. So I said, well, then what are you believing for? Because here's the deal. And, and you, men and women, you're going to be in these situations before. So let me just give you a little coaching as a believer. I said, what are you believing for? They said, we're believing for a miracle. So I said, then we're with you. We're going to believe for it with you. They said, here's what the doctors have said. And they lined it out. They faced the facts. They faced the facts. They said, here is the problems with our child. They didn't say, well, we're just believing that that's not true. They said, no, here's the problems. When we get alone with God, what we sense is a lot of peace. So this is what we're believing for. And so we said, amen. We're with you. Now, let me just tell you, I've seen all kinds of amazing healings. By God's grace, we've seen uh, cancerous tumors disappear. We've seen blind eyes see. We've seen bones pop back together. We have seen amazing, amazing miracles. But here's what I don't do. When someone is, is saying, hey, I don't believe for that. I don't have a word. I don't push them with my faith. That's how people get injured. Or I don't say, if you just had more faith, this would happen. That's how many people have gotten hurt. That's how many people have gotten hurt in faith congregations. That's how many people have gotten hurt in healing movements. Guys, I love healing. I love to be people of faith. But first of all, I want to show the love of God to someone. And I want to meet them where they are. And you know what? We live in a world where people get sick. We live in a world where people die. I've had friends that have died. I know faith healers who their loved ones have died. Explain that to me. 
So here's where we land. We say, we're going to love first and foremost. And we will believe. And when we have a word, we will press in until it's over. But you know what? I'm not going to pull someone past where they want to go. And I'm not going to say, you have to believe this or you have to do this. Or if you just had more faith, something would happen. I don't see that as loving. Jesus was healing those that were coming to him and saying, I want it. I want it. And so that's where we've landed with little baby Alyssa. Is we've said, Matt and Sherry and Tim and Cindy, their grandparents, they're believing for a miracle. So we're saying, church, let's rise up and believe with them. Right? What I've seen is the people who stretch out in belief are the ones that see the most miracles. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And guess what? Sometimes it doesn't happen. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I don't understand why some people get healed and some people don't. I hope you're okay to have a pastor that can say that. But I do believe that God is faithful. I do believe he is good. And so here's what we don't do. We don't waver in unbelief. Because our belief is that God can heal anyone. God can work in any situation. So we don't waver in unbelief. So let's keep going here. Lastly, it says, be strengthened in your faith. Let me make a side caveat because I know you go, well, that's really good, Robert, to not waver in unbelief. But I just got to tell you, sometimes I waver in unbelief. Here's how we don't waver in unbelief. Some of you remember the story of Peter. He's in a storm. It's really scary. It's a very turbulent situation. They're thinking they're going to drown. Jesus comes walking out on the water, and they're, they're freaking out. And, and they realize that's Jesus. And so Peter says, Jesus, will you call me out to you? So Peter says, yeah, come. And all of a sudden, Peter is doing the impossible. By faith, he's doing the impossible. He's walking on the water. But what does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and onto his circumstances. When he stops looking at Jesus' face and he starts looking at the circumstances, whoa, the waves, whoa, the wind, whoa, the storm, what happens to him? He starts to sink. The key is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. The key to not wavering is not just saying, ooh, faith, I got to muster more faith. Faith, 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 faith. No, it's keeping your eyes focused. On Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on the faithful one. Your faith is based on the faithful one. Then it says this. And he was strengthened in his faith. This is verse 20. But was strengthened in his faith. How do we grow in faith? Let me just give you three little points real quick. We're coming to the end of our message. Here's three points for being strengthened in your faith. Number one, ask for faith. It's a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 9, if you need more faith, just ask for it. Even today, ask for more faith. Number two, faith comes from hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17. So what I do is I read the Bible out loud or I'll speak promises out loud so I can hear it and it builds my faith. Lastly, hang out with faith-filled friends. If you want to be a pessimist, then hang out with downers. If you want to be full of faith, get around the people that you know that have faith. Whenever I'm facing an impossible situation, I try to get around people that I know have a lot of faith. And I just let their faith rub off onto me. 
That's why it's so wise of you to be here this morning because you come in and you sense the faith in the room as we're worshiping. And after the worship service, we're going to pray for you. And I'm going to have leaders down here that really believe God's going to move when they pray. You are wise to be here. You're wise to be in life groups where you're with faith-filled people instead of people that are just saying, hey, the whole world, it's just going downhill and gas prices are skyrocketing and our our country's falling apart and, man, we're just barely hanging on, you know, and you say, no, I want to be around faith-filled people that say God's on his throne and all things are possible. Last point. Number six, give glory to God. I want to tell you the way to walk in faith is give glory to God. When we praise God, it's a weapon. You pull out your weapon of praise and it just cuts through depression. It cuts through despair. It cuts through the the children of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho and they won the war by worship and praise by giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. I'll tell you what, even if you're not seeing results, you're ticking off the devil. And I really like that. That's the one person we want to tick off in life. So I just love, when everything's going bad, I'm like, you know what, devil? I'm just going to worship because I'm going to get in your face and make you mad. I love Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. <laughs> you're awesome, Jesus. You're good. And you know what? You're driving back the enemy because he hates to be in the place where the presence of God is being lifted up. <sighs> Faith. Believing. Guys, this is the most important work you will do as a believer. The most important work you will do in your Christian life is believing and having faith. Let me finish with this last verse. The disciples come to Jesus and they asked him, this is John chapter 6. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? A lot of you in church here today saying, God, what what do you want from me? What do you want? Here is what he says. He says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe. The work of God is this, to to believe in the one he has sent. We started this whole walk by believing that he saves us for our sins. But don't just stop there believing that Jesus died for you. Believe that his power can live in you and you can see the impossible. Go ahead and stand up with me.